I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. Dr. Jimba Jang is the founding director of the Organizational Innovation Lab at the University of Pittsburgh. As a complexity leadership scholar and practitioner, Gemma is committed to bridging the knowing-doing gap by building capacity for addressing complex social challenges, and she believes that listening is at the core. She shares how organizations can integrate the power of listening by designing adaptive spaces in ways that may surprise you. Enjoy listening in. I really do believe going forward, like with the advancing of more and more new technologies, the human just becomes more and more important. And together with that comes sense-making. And one of the key tools for sense-making is listening. It's not only listening to each other, but also listen to the environment and make sense of it and make changes, make adaptive changes, right? Based on what you hear. So that's like the bigger, bigger backdrop. Let's say you're going to a place where you're going to give a presentation. Imagine in your dream world, a space where the gifts of what we bring and the gifts are there to be received. People come to bring something and to take, right? These gifts that are being exchanged, where the environment or the context where these gifts wouldn't be dropped on the floor, but that they would actually be able to be opened and cherished and appreciated in that moment. I'm wondering if you have some thoughts on what you would love to see in the environment that would support that to help that happen. That's a great question. I think first and foremost is what is incentivized, right? A lot of modern organizations, we are rewarded for individual performance. One piece of the environment is it needs to be, that needs to be taken away. Uh, instead, if we could measurements about how individuals work together with fellow team members, like relational measures, also ecosystem awareness, right? The way the team works. I think that's the first. And then also, like, I wouldn't even use the word evaluation. Even if we use the word evaluation, there needs to be a developmental piece to it, in that everybody has the capacity to continually develop. So that, I think, needs to be another piece. So because you see a lot of times people are not listening because they want to show themselves because that's how they are evaluated or the society has taught them what is important. And then a third thing is that is a lot of times, you know, when we hear people, what I've come to realize is voice, like of all the means of communication, voice is actually very dominating because only one person can speak at one given time. <laughs> so you hear a lot, right? So one person speak, everybody else listens. So like what I'm already doing, like in the environments that I have influence over is 
you create smaller spaces where everybody could speak, right? Like small groups of three, four people, and you give them questions where everybody can speak, and that's where you can see energy start to flow instead of one. I mean, those structures actually correlate directly with the degree of hierarchy in the organization, because you go to some presentations, it's just the presenter speaking, right? And that's very dominating and very hierarchical. So the assumption is the speaker knows the answer, and the rest just listen. So the the speaker makes sense of the world for the listeners, and that's a very hierarchical and dominating way of interpreting the world. So the environment I would create is always, of course, there needs to be a provocation so that we open up the mind. The speaker would speak that, would do that, and after after he or she has done that job. And then it's time to invite the whole group to do sense making in smaller groups. And then you also always bring the whole group back to make sense of the whole, in which I call the part whole part whole structure, right? Because you do need ecosystem awareness and and、uh, a sense of the whole. I'm just curious, how would you recommend that someone gets a sense of the ecosystem to be able to see the whole? It's very hard. A lot of times, the ecosystem is not visible. And it's like beyond our perception of the mind, right? But the ecosystem, there are different levels of ecosystem. So that's actually why I was going to, and I am going in the fall. I'm going to offer a not a course, but a learning group called Leading Change: Bridging Individuals, Communities, and Systems. So the ecosystem can be at the communities level. I mean, the ecosystem is. When we think about ecosystem, it's more automatic. The default is the system level, but we never really get a picture of the system, right? So we get a picture of the system through its fractal, which is a community or a team. It's a group, a collection of people that you can wrap your arm around. So that is what I would recommend: is you make sense, you develop your relationship with, however. Like small or big, a, a community you are part of, and I think that's how you make sense of the system. Yeah. So part of that is also having conversations or listening to different groups, different even even big groups are tough. More smaller groups who are willing to grow from each other, or for to learn from each other, to understand a bigger system. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it is through this giving and receiving. Right, it's through speaking, through dialogues, and that is what makes human unique. And I mean, is that Plato in his Republic? He said, "Wisdom flows in conversations." Well, I have noticed that the bigger the group is, the harder it is to connect and have that deep level of conversation. And yet, if we have a big group, it doesn't mean it's not possible. But then, to break the bigger group up into smaller, either pairs or small groups, and then it's amazing. The depth that can happen very quickly. I've noticed that, and with working with groups, and I'm thinking about the business context right now, where people are under pressure, they don't have much time, they're overworked, overloaded, and so there's not as much space and time to like connect and have these conversations, which are really important towards sensing into the system and what's needed within the system, the organization, the school, and whatnot. Yeah, why is everybody so busy? What are you busy with, <laughs> right? So, the way I think about it is this: you think about a diamond, 
and、uh, you have a, a a divergent phase, and that's the sense making. And then the inflection point is decision making. And then on the other side, the convergence phase is action taking. So that is like the way I think about like the processes every organization goes through. Sometimes it's a longer process. Sometimes it's just in a matter of a few minutes, even a few、uh, hours or a few days. Go through this sense making, decision making, and action taking phase. I think people, like in my view, people are too busy with action taking, and that action taking, when you think about that, is almost it's like think about like a group of arrows, like shooting out. And a lot of times, the action taking is not coordinated, and there's not coherence in it, and、uh, the arrows cancel each other out. You're not shooting all at the same target. That's why everybody's so busy. You are busy canceling out each other's efforts. And why does that happen? Because you go back. You always go upstream because there is not enough sense making. So the decision was not. It was not a good decision. That's why you have so many trouble with action taking. Right. So your answer is not getting busy or canceling each other out, but your answer is go upstream, do better sense making, sense making among each other, and sense making of the business environments you are in, and make a better decision. And when we go to the action taking, everybody is on the same, on the same page, and we enhance each other. So that's what how you become less busy. Right, so you're gonna step back and ask, why am I so busy all the time? So right there, you're talking about listening to yourself, right? <laughs> Making sense of my my own actions, my own behaviors, right? What's causing me to be busy? And you talked a lot about sense making right there, and then the connection that listening is a large part of of sense making. Could you give me an example of how listening plays a role in sense making? I can give an example of a initiative I led when I first went to University of Pittsburgh. So very quickly, I picked up I picked up the signal that staff in the school was not valued. It is not unique to the school I was in, and it is overall in academic hierarchy where faculty are higher than staff. But the way I think about it is like. If in the football game, faculty are like the the offense and staff are the defense. In order to win the game, you need both to be strong, right? So you can't undervalue your defense team, and they were undervalued. And、uh, again, that's inverse thinking, right? That results in a lot of the ineffectiveness of faculty. So what I did was I started an initiative called Let's Do Lunch. So, like the regular approach, yeah, let's call a staff meeting, right? So, like, like everybody come and uh, and uh, tell me their misery. So, like, what、well, that's one way of listening. But I wonder how everybody's gonna speak. So, I don't, I don't think it's an enabling condition for people to be authentic and say what they truly want. So, I started a initiative called Let's Do Lunch. So basically, just let's do lunch. So we have lunch, and we had open invitation to everybody, any staff member who like to come, and we had lunches once per week for four consecutive weeks. So about thirty staff members came. Some are from the human centered design world. Some are from the liberating structure world. Just some facilitation to to facilitate the listening. Like for example, we had what's on your radar. Right. So, what's on your radar? So we have a we have a radar of three 
concentric circles. And、uh, what are you thinking about? Like imagining a better future that you you would like to live in as a staff member in the school. What's on your mind? The innermost is what you want immediately, and the second layer is something you are thinking about, and then the outermost layer is right something longer term. And then you can also have things that is outside, um, like something is just totally fantasy in your world. So put post-it notes on it, and then we we hear the post-it note. So after the group have given their thoughts, I collected all the all the post-it notes, categorized them. And then the next meeting, we had the difficulty slash importance matrix, which is four quadrants, and the, and then I gave them the new sense making. I mean, the post notes after they've been made sense of. Do we agree with the sense making? And then could we repost those post notes according to this matrix and see what we can do immediately? So it was a very bottom up approach of listening. So there is listening on the spot. Whereas people are speaking, I'm listening, interacting, and people are listening to each other, and then they put in groups and they talk about it and they put ideas on the post-it notes. So they were listening right there at the crime scene, and then there's also listening afterwards, right? How you make sense of what you have listened. So it was really good. The four lunches and they're just like a lot of energy, and then I remember. We've been meeting on Friday after the fourth lunch, and I remember I was on my way going to yoga, and and as the door clicked, so I had been feeling this energy that I did not want this to finish, and the group did not want this to finish after listening. So that's the thing, right? So listening does not stand alone. What do you do after you have listened? So I just been feeling this energy that did not want this to finish, and.、Uh, As I I closed the door on my way to yoga, <laughs> and then just this idea came. It it just like came up to me. So that's listening to myself, right? What is that future that I want to co-create with the staff? So like this idea just popped in my head. It is called Ideation Expo. I don't know where it came from. It just like popped. <laughs> so that's exactly what we did. We had the staff self-organized into project teams to talk about what they wanted to create and. And then we also invited the panel of the leadership in the school, including the dean, the associate deans, department chairs. So they are like the decision makers. So right there at the ideation expo, it is where the bottom-up dynamic meets the top-down dynamic. So we had we ended up with five projects. They are all self-organized by my let's do lunch participants. Some of them talk about they wanted to have a fitness program so that they don't have. They don't have to go out of the building. Some of them talk about they want a new staff orientation program because new staff after they join, they are just left on their own, sink or swim, right? So it doesn't have to be that way. Could we have a staff orientation? So just all sorts of really, really、um, like grounded in the real needs of the staff community. So when the facts answers. Is a good example for your question. That's a great example. What I love is very, very. How should I say? Holistic. I mean, when you think about the the lunches that you had, I mean, those were just bringing people together and getting you got them to listen to get each other as people, connecting and building relationships to one another, finding common ground, also being challenged with a challenging a、uh, topic where they were challenged. So you had that brought in a common goal, and then there was harvesting. So you actually had the output. There was time to 
think through things. And yet what they thought through and what they, the ideas they came to were harvested on a piece of paper and put somewhere. So they were written down and captured. And from there, it's not like, oh, this was just a nice moment, but you actually took that and did sense making from that to see what actions could be taken and what wants to happen. And often when people get information or do surveys and then they don't act upon it or don't let the group know what they've done, then then there's a sense of loss, but you didn't do that. There's actually a follow through there and not only a follow through, but as you listen to yourself that there might be more that wants to happen, then that actually created a momentum where now you are creating a bridge between different, let's say hierarchies or whatever, the bottom up to the top down, you created a bridge where there was listening that happened there that also moved things forward for the whole. So it's really interesting. That's a lovely example of sense making and listening and, and the different, a lot of the different levels of listening. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very, very beautiful summary. I will tell you like a, a quick little story from the whole process. So it was when, when the, after the ideation expo idea came to me and I came back to the group, I told them this idea. What did the group respond? We don't want to do that. It's too scary. We're going to lose face. We've never done anything like that before. We don't have enough time. Right. So I just remember it became on me against everybody else. <laughs> the so fear even, jumped in. Right, <laughs> the fear jumped in. It's like, what me, uh, a little, what, uh, a feeble little staff member can speak in front of the mighty dean. It was, it was like that. I was remembered. I was like, wow. I was, I was like, it was very intense. So like in the end, I told myself, look, it's about what the group wants. If they don't want it, it's okay. I was psychologically prepping myself for just letting that go. And then all of a sudden there's this like middle-aged man. I can't even remember his name. And he just said, like, very gently, we have been thinking about these ideas for so long. It's time that we let them see some sunshine. And he just said that in the most, like, gentle, non-forceful way. And that just immediately changed the entire atmosphere in the room. And I physically felt like the room got, like, lighter. I physically felt like the room got lighter, lighter and it got cooler because <laughs> there was a lot of heat. Like just that one sentence and from his heart, right? And everybody heard that. It's because he spoke everybody's <laughs> Because you see that the first part is the fear part. We've been thinking about this idea for so long, but we have been kept in fear, right? So because the biggest argument against it is we don't have enough time. So right, that's, that's a lot of time when good initiatives don't start. It's like later, later, later is never. Tomorrow never comes. And then, and then by the end, within five minutes, everybody unanimously said, let's do it. So within a moment, people just can choose otherwise. Right. You know? <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 that's great. So it's really, it's lovely to see this interplay of this yearning for connection, which is what happened at first, but then turning this into action also into a bigger, in a, where people have to be seen. So people want to be seen, but then they're afraid to be seen. <laughs> right? So, so like, what do you listen to? Do you listen to their fear or do you listen to their highest future potential? Right? And, and in that moment, it was probably both. <laughs> right. And then do you listen to yourself or do you listen to the group? Right? When they are in conflict with each other. Yeah. 
So with this in mind, I'm just curious, do you remember the moment where you really recognized the power of listening, whether it worked or it did not work? I would say I'm from China. And uh, in Asian culture, compared to Western culture, I think listening is given much more emphasis. I'm always taught growing up, you know, listen, be polite and be respectful when you listen. Don't interrupt people. So I did not recognize that until I come to the United States, like the emphasis of listening uh, was given in Asian cultures. Because <laughs> in the United States, I experienced a lot more interruption, a lot more talking on top of each other compared to my experience in China. So that was like the background that is given, uh, I mean, give the context. And I think what really brought listening to my attention was uh, Otto Schammer from MIT and my engagement with, with the Theory U and the ULAB community that he has been leading. He has this one of the most widely viewed video on four levels of listening, right? So the first level being downloading, the second is listening with your mind for, for disconfirming information, and the second is empathetic listening, the relational piece, and the, the fourth level is generative listening, listening to your highest future potential. So that was around 2018, 2019-ish. So, so that was when recently when it was really brought to my attention. And then also I've been hosting ULAP hubs and uh, coaching circles. So those were all the conditions that I have influence over to create where listening is given a lot of emphasis. And it really does work. It builds connection like magic. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there must have been a moment where this magic that you said it created, where you were really, maybe you had this moment where you were surprised about the magic and then you're like, whoa, <laughs> what is this? Yeah. That, that moment for me is probably when I was the case giver in a coaching circle. So the way coaching circle works is five people. So Every time you meet for about 75 to 90 minutes and you have a case giver who would share their, their real challenges and then the, the coaches, which the rest of the four, they would hear you and mirror back to what they have heard you talk. And then like we engage in generative dialogue and then we take turns to be case givers and, and the peer coaches. So I remember there when, when I... That probably was the second coaching circle I was part of, and when I was the when I was the case giver, and then afterwards the mirroring back phase. So the prompt was mirror back with gestures, feelings, and images what you have heard. And when like at that time I was really struggling with a challenge, and I was really authentic in giving that challenge. So I truly spoke from um, my heart. And then wow, the the mirroring back was absolutely amazing so for me it was like i was it was like i became out it's like i had three 360 view of the of the event so i was able to see perspectives and aspects of my challenge that i was never and would never be able to see with my own perspective so of course once you start to see things differently the solution surfaces as well right that's the importance of sense making a lot of times we are stuck because we are stuck in our own perspective. And then I can also see how the, that piece of mirroring from, from the listener, it reflects about them, <laughs> right? Because everybody listens from their perspective and when they mirror it back, 
it helps you to see your situation differently. It also helps you to see where the listener comes from. So it was like all of a sudden, multiple light bulb came up. Right? I came to know myself better, my situation better. I also came to know my listeners better. So it was really very, very、um, magical. Right? So I have been using like this mirroring,、uh, like just in my regular conversation, because too many times we listen. In order for us to speak, <laughs> I can't wait for that person to shut up so that it's my turn to speak. <laughs> so, so right. But what if you listen for understanding? And a very easy thing to do is after that person speak, you mirror back to what that person heard. So this is what I heard you say. The key words that jump, the words that jump out to me, and this is the image that came to me while you speak. Right, so you use nonlinear thinking because languages tend to be very linear. You have to have a subject, verb, object. So you can you can use images, feelings, how I felt about it, and there's a mixed feeling, right? <laughs> so that's the nonlinear, the complexity is you can feel joy and sorrow at the same time, and、um, gestures. So tap into your your body's wisdom, and then before you give your view. So that is a very very just. The magic, the magic wand in listening is before you you give a response, you mirror back to what that person has spoken.、Hmm. So you had these. You had been paying attention probably subconsciously, and through the this experience with the U Lab, you started noticing even more of the magic. Also, using these different tools and structures where people listen to each other in different ways than probably you had thought of before. So. What are questions that you now are asking in your listening research? What would you love to understand better? So the biggest question I'm asking is how can organizations create enabling conditions to center listening and questioning? Yeah. Say that again. Say that one more time. How might organizations create enabling conditions to center listening and questioning? And you probably have a long ways to go to answer that question, but what is it that you're finding out so far? So what I'm finding out is、uh, listening and belonging. I'm I'm sorry, not listening and belonging. I mean, of course, listening engenders belonging, and、uh, learning and belonging mutually reinforce each other, right? So we always say we need to build learning organizations, and organizations need to learn to be adaptive, and all the good things that is required of. Organizations of twenty first century that are changing so fast. So I think learning is only part of the story. The other part of the story is belonging, is community building, and I see it absent in most of the learning environments, including higher education. Right? Like that's one of the arguments that last year with COVID, everybody turned online. And a lot of people from higher education say, "Oh, I did not feel it to be so disruptive." And the reflection is, you don't feel it to be disruptive because of the lack, the absence of a community that has been long time coming. So when you don't see each other, you don't miss each other, <laughs> oh, right? I never thought about that. That's true, <laughs> right?、So、I mean, I re- I recognize that, but I didn't re- think of it from that context. It's really interesting. <laughs> Right, so because they have just been all the emphasis is on the content, is on learning the contents. The relational aspect is missing. I mean, you look at you look at older educational models, and even so, like I'm Chinese, most familiar with the Chinese context, like、uh, back to maybe a hundred years ago, fifty, sixty years ago, 
The relationship, I mean, faculty used to live right next to campus, and students can go to faculty's house and ask them questions, having meals together. Who does that nowadays? <laughs> I remember doing that thing before. <laughs> right. Does right. that happen anymore? <laughs> right. I mean, I remember doing that too for my for my K to twelve. You just go to your school, your teacher after school, and uh, you you do your homework, you ask your question, and you stay for dinner. <laughs> right, and you are in touch with those with these teachers. I'm in touch with some of my teachers until this very day. And are you still in touch with your professors in school? <laughs> uh, no, well, just just a few, just a few. But I do have a few. <laughs> Oddly enough, yes. <laughs> so, from what you're learning about the importance of community building, you just talked about it in schools, and and that well, you talked about learning is connected to belonging. And that community is really important, but we've been focused more on the action, on the content than the community. What do you think is important for individuals or leaders in organizations to know when you think about what you're looking into? Mm. If you have a question, listen to your people. They might have the answer. You don't have to hire those fancy schmancy consultants. Devise a strategy. This, that, another thing that costs you so much money, and also triggered so much resistance in the organization. If you have, if you have a question, why don't you spend some time listen to your people? Hmm. So simple. Very simple. And when you say just listen to your people, can you give me a, a few examples and how you would suggest that to, how to do that? Hmm. That's a good question. It's it's so. It feels so rare to me <laughs> that that leaders actually do that. Um, yeah, because usually there's an "ask me anything" sessions where people can ask questions and they can, but the leader's still sharing. It's not as much the other way around, right? A lot of in those occasions where it's the official listening time, all I see is gifts dropped on the floor. <laughs> right, and even if there are listening, a lot of times they are not acted on, and then it's a waste of my time. Why would I give you my opinion if you're not going to listen? If you are not going to act on it, it is like a pacifying behavior. It's not authentic. What was that person? I couldn't remember. It's a story that I read. Like somebody after they became some type of positional leader in an important position. Like they spend the, their first hundred days listening, so it doesn't matter what who that person is or what position it is. But before they did anything, they spent a hundred days going around and talking with different people, and that's what auto auto shamers advocacy is. You're gonna go to the edge of the system and listen to the edge of the system, right? So you're gonna do people who are traditionally marginalized and their their voice is undervalued. Maybe in an organization that's the janitors, maybe that's the students. Uh, I mean, in a higher education context, so you're gonna listen to them, and more important is you're gonna act on what you have heard, right? The listening needs to have an effect. It needs to effect a change. I think sometimes leaders are. I've talked to uh, with a few people about this. On one hand, there's leaders that are afraid to listen because what if they can't act on that or do something about that, or at least that's the fear. Bit like the fear that jumped up when you said, "Hey, let's go talk about these projects to the decision makers." There's this fear that what if it doesn't work or we can't do something about it, even though 
more than often there is something you can do. And it, it can even be saying, hey, that's a great thing, but that's not possible. That can also be an action <laughs> and that people understand why. Mm. I, I completely empathize with, with that feeling. What if there is something like, what, what if I don't do something? And what I've observed is a lot of times we have this illusion that if you are a leader, you have a lot of uh, space, right? So like you can do this, that, another thing, you are empowered, you can do whatever you want. But I think in reality, especially in more hierarchical organizations, it's a totally opposite. <laughs> the higher you are in the hierarchy, the less room you have to be creative. The more the system demands of you to carry on the agenda of the system. So that's where it goes back to the conditions. Like what conditions are our leaders put in to be creative and to truly lead? So that is, I think that is a very, very real thing. A lot of times, like I find talking with leaders in my own context, they will say, Gemma, in your position, you have so much more room to be creative than in my position. I'm like, are you serious? I look up to you. So right, that's, that invites us to rethink the entire way we structure our organizations. Now, this is something I'd love to, this is a question that I have also, and I know there's some pioneering work to be done here. So I hope that you're part of that. <laughs> but what you're saying is really, really important because even if you have leaders who really do want to listen and they, and they make efforts to do that and they do it in their own way within their team and within the area of influence that they have, there are certain restrictions that they have because of their position, like you just described. And so to think from a more systemic perspective to how can we design or develop or whatever the structures or the, the context, the environment that we're in so that we are able to become a listening organization, which in turn will help an organization become a learning organization, right? Because without the listening, it's not even possible to be a learning organization when it comes down to it, right? Or an innovative solution or a creative solution. It's not possible because you're restricted. And not to, to say that we don't have need structures. We do need the structures and that you can be very creative within a structure. It can actually help creativity. But if the leaders, what they said to you, well, I, mean, I can't do that because of this role. I'm just thinking out loud, what would help us to start paying attention to and working with developing systems and structures that support listening to be possible? I tell you, I do think I have a great answer and I am doing uh, like actively practicing that in organizations. And the quick answer is adaptive spaces. Because when you think about, like for example, when you think about a house, you think about the spaces in our house, we have spaces that serve the important needs of our daily lives. Kitchen, we need to eat, right? Dining room. Bathroom, we need personal hygiene. Bedroom, we need to sleep. Living room, where we, we need to have places for family to gather, right? So that's the spaces created for the needs. So if there is a need for listening, there needs to be spaces in organizations to do that. So that is what I call adaptive spaces. So it has its theoretical grounding in complexity leadership theory, which is uh, the theory that my doctoral advisor, Dr. Russ Merriam, coined. So it's very simple. Basically, adaptive space stands in between the bottom-up dynamic, which we call it adaptive leadership, and top-down dynamic, which we call it administrative leadership. And adaptive space stands right in between these two and connects them. So adaptive space, Dr. Merriam calls it the space for enabling leadership, 
which is a brand new type of leadership introduced into the uh, leadership literature from uh, complex leadership theory. So basically, how it could be operationalized is everybody in the data space, how do you say, come out of their comfort zone. People who are more like on the ground, so they come out of their uh, comfort zone. So does people who are more in positional leadership. And we come together, so we interact differently, and we experience our interdependence differently. And then, and then it ties to, like, it's an adjacent future that we can create. Adjacent future means it's right next door. So that's another key point. When we think about change and how do we change, that that's a transformation I have gone through in my personal like conceptualization. Because my background is leadership, and leadership is all about leading change. And I used to think about changing as jumping off a cliff. Like, okay, that's how, <laughs> that's like how you need to change. Like, we all need to have the determination. They're daredevils, and we all need to jump off the cliff. And then I was like, wait a minute. If changing is about jumping off the cliff, who is going to jump with you? First of all, I'm probably I'm not even going to jump. <laughs> so right, so that mental stuckness is a barrier for me. Was the barrier for me as a personal. Like as a leader, myself, and then I gradually evolved to come to see change as like as just going from land to water and from water to land. It's adjacent; they're adjacent to each other, right? You can walk from land to water and then walk back. So it's very low risk. Let's just walk, walk over. So it's it's very inviting. Just let's experience a slightly different environment. So that's what adjacent futures are. So in organizations, we can do right now is is create those adaptive spaces that is just neighboring the status quo, right next door, an adjacent future. And you can do all sorts of experiments in those adaptive spaces. And then, once if 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 it meets the needs of the organization, people will be attracted. So that's another thing. We always felt like we need to persuade people. I think persuasion only works to a certain extent. It never generates like deep transformation. But I think attraction is a much better way. If this is a better way, are you interested? Are you attracted? And then gradually, you you build iterative adjacent future, iterative adjacent future. It's like the brick in the yellow brick road that leaves nobody knows where. <laughs> it's emergent, right? So you you're gonna be open to listen to what's the organization's highest future potential is calling to you instead of an imposed. End destination, and that's. I think that's how change happens. I love these ideas. I love these adaptive spaces. But I was thinking about maybe you can. <laughs> I was thinking one of the things I've learned about listening is that just like what you had the experience with the U Lab, once you have those experiences, then you really know what listening is all about and what the superpower is or the magic, right? But it takes having those experiences for us to fully understand the potential of it. Just by talking about it and learning about it isn't enough, right? Or just reading it in a book. So those experiences are really important. And I also recognize in my own understanding of listening over time, once I had these even experiential learnings even later on in life and understand the potential that I recognize how important it is to do it in a more playful way. This is uh, to play and have time, uh, space and time to practice, right? Because these types of, in these contexts, trying these new ways and also listening, every situation, every person, every circumstance, and there's all these different ways to listen and it takes practice, right? And I was thinking, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to have not only 
experiential training that people can learn over time, not just a one-off couple hour thing, but over time, but then to have like listening playgrounds, like playgrounds, places or labs, whatever you want to call it, where people can practice without any expectation of outcome. And to use that with real topics, with real, real decisions that people have, or they're trying to work through and then see what happens. Because even if someone learns something or tries a new way, they won't just be able to do it right away. It, It takes, it takes practice over time. And then we, and we need each other to do that, right? And to have those spaces in organizations or in universities, it would be lovely. Absolutely. That's where I, what you just described is adaptive spaces, right? It's, we do that with the real people that we work with, with real challenges we face on a day-to-day basis. And what you just said about not expecting an outcome is super important because the more complex the situation like the less obvious is the answer. And as a matter of fact, the answer keeps evolving, just as the question we're asking keeps evolving, right? So there's not like a definitive answer. So, so that's another assumption that we need, to, we need to get rid of. So it's very, very, I mean, adaptive spaces are very easy to set up if you have the attention. It's, it doesn't have to be a physical space. Of course, if you have the, the how do you say, the resources to have physical spaces, it, it's always better. But it can just be a social space that you struck up. It can happen over Zoom where what you are experimenting with, what you are playing with is a different ways of interacting with each other. Right? So it's, it's like really simple. And another point you made about the experience is so, so important. Recently, I've got really interested from neuroscience on mind-body connection. So what I come to realize is like, again, since the Industrial Revolution, I think it, we have gone way over into our head, humanity, and we have way ignored the power of our body. So what experience is, is you actually creating experience, you're actually building a bridge between your mind and your body. It's you are, um, experience is like, experience is for the body, concept is for the mind, right? So only when you have experience with your entire body, can you say that I have truly learned it? Then that's the data spaces is creating those. And, and a concept and experience doesn't have to be separated. And concept does not have to come before experience. Right? So that's another thing I learned from uh, Otto Scharmer is he said, you know, to learn theory, you, you don't have to front load all the theory. People will be scared away. Why don't you create a theory you related experience for, uh, for people? It's like, let's have adaptive spaces where we practice different way of speaking and listening. Let's just play with it. And then once people get really interested, once they experience the power, then you can share with them a little bit about the back end story. And by then, it just comes naturally, right? I think that's a lot of times where education goes wrong. A lot of the higher education does not welcome lived experience. Probably businesses as well. It's very head-driven. And then what actually you are, you are seeing is a struggle between everybody's head and their body. <laughs> That's why you're so busy again. Is you are working with the, with the tension between the head and the body that is created by your own structure and your very own action. I have to tell you this. I was just thinking, I had this so often said lately, 
I mean, it's always been said, but I just noticed it came up often lately, is in different situation, in different contexts, also within the organizational context with people at work or even at the university. So it was in, with younger people, older people, mixed, it was all different context. And in each situation, I was doing a listening circle, just going around the circle, one person at a time. And they don't have to speak if they don't want to, but they have a chance to, and we keep going around. It's a very simple tool. And you don't know how often in each of these situations, someone always says, oh, this is so relaxing. (laughs) I wish we'd have more meetings like this (laughs) because what's happened is their mind and their body have connected. They've, They've reconnected. And actually their mind is clearer. They're able to think through things better and they know what they need to do afterwards. So it doesn't, it's not like that takes away from performance. It actually helps that, but it feels much better. Yeah. (laughs) So is there anything else that I haven't asked you yet that you feel like you would like me to ask you? That would be a good question. Or is there something else that you'd like to share with the, with our audience? That's a good question. It's like a wrapping up. I'll just say, in my mind, I often tie listening with gratitude because it's a, it's a rare, it's a rare connection, right? <laughs> it's a weird connection, but, but in my mind, it makes sense because they are both in states of, of receivership, right? Because like when you're grateful for something, that means you have received, you have truly received. That's when you are grateful. And so it's listening. When you listen, you are in a state of a receivership. So you are receiving the wisdom that is flowing in that conversation, right? So like in my personal life, like sometimes I find myself impatient listening. Like I want to speak. Whenever that little impatience like flares up in me, I always tell myself, be patient. You are receiving the wisdom. What can be better than that? And immediately, it just brings me a tremendous sense of peace and openness to receive, to listen. I think we talk about organizations needs to transform. And like organizational transformation is grounded in individual transformations. So one message is probably invite all our listeners to investigate and examine their personal relationship with listening. And then bring that new insight into organizations and into any relationship that we are part of and see what transformative effect it has. And then the second thing I want to say is a conversation with you, Raquel, when we were preparing for this, is what are we listening for? Like listening for information is one level of listening that is most a practice. And even in that part, a lot of the information was dropped <laughs> on the floor we're not really uh, received, especially disconfirming information, right? So we all want to hear what we want to hear. We don't want to hear what we don't want to hear. And that is only one level of listening, right? For all those, also got two more levels. One is the relational, the empathetic listening, the feeling part of the listening. And then even deeper is listening from high future potential. And I call that listening for opportunities for transformation. So like leadership is about influencing change and those opportunities for change present themselves as you listen when you're in your conversation all the time, right? If you can seize that opportunity and lead that person in that moment to their highest future potential, and then you are a leader and uh, you are a better leader because of that. So it's 
those present moments that hold all the potential and that you are going to seize, the potential is only going to be realized for you if you listen. Yeah. I'm receiving that with gratitude, Jebba. <laughs> Your beautiful gifts. I'm not letting those fall on the floor. I'm taking those. And I just want to thank you so much for all your, your wisdom and your ideas. And I'm looking forward to seeing um, how your work plays out in, in education and, and, and organizations also with the adaptive spaces also as well. And how our conversation led from listening to self all the way to what can be done in leadership to what can be done in organizations. So I'm very grateful for our conversation today. Thank you so much, Raquel, for the opportunity. I'm just curious, when people want to get in touch with you, how would you like them to do that? Probably LinkedIn is the best way, as I'm quite active in LinkedIn. I share all the latest in my work. So basically, you can search um, the LinkedIn with my name, Jimmy Jim, and you will be able to find me. And we'll also put that in the link in the notes, the podcast notes, for anybody who's listening. And uh, thank you again for this wonderful conversation. I am your host, Raquel Ark from Listening Alchemy, and I hope you are inspired by this episode of Listen In and find one person today to practice your listening superpower. Please subscribe and like this podcast and share it with others so we can catalyze a listening movement together. A big thank you to Evo Tiemann for producing the music and Cecilia Mercado for getting this podcast set up. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy listening in. Thank you.